Welcome to the Healing Ground Movement, a podcast dedicated to revolutionizing how we think about our bodies and our health. I'm your host, Dr. Carly Hudson, DC, and I have lived my life in pursuit of holistic healing and care that goes beyond symptom management. If you've been listening and like what you're hearing, head over to your favorite platform and leave us a review so we can reach more people with our important message. Enjoy today's episode. Welcome to another episode of the Healing Ground Movement podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Carly Hudson, and with us today we have Chad Weller. I'm excited he's decided to join us today. He's a longtime friend of, of myself and my family's. I know that he has so much good to offer. And Chad is a former professional athlete and ultramarathon runner, well, current ultramarathon runner, and a thought-provoking public speaker and high-performance high life coach. Chad inspires diverse audiences on how to stay the course and excel through his self-reflective and actionable methodologies. Thank you for joining us today. And I know that is a short version of your cover sheet. You have done so much more and connected with so many people. And I'm excited that you're here to share that with us as well. Honored to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I always like to start and particularly given your your background in um, ultra marathon running and all the movement that I know you do. Uh, when was movement first fun for you? I think at a very young age, actually, mm -hmm. like I I'm mean, going back to like seven years old, soccer, baseball, mm -hmm. basketball was like my outlets. I was always outside. <laughs> it was always just like I loved, loved like sports. Growing yeah. Up. yeah. Did you like the competition of it or the, the group engagement? What was it that did it for you? I think just getting out and just getting rid of energy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Especially just being a young guy and, you know, doing a bunch of different sports. The, the competitive side definitely is, mm -hmm. is always been, um, Pertained in me, I guess you could say. Yeah. Yeah. You have a little competitive nature. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. Uh, so tell us a little bit about about your background. It starts diversely. I mean, I've, I've seen pictures of you modeling in Milan. You've worked down in Florida with um, the basketball teams down there. Where did all this begin for you? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I'm originally from Columbus, Ohio, and mm -hmm. um, I grew up in uh, a very nice home <laughs> and would have very fortunate. And I always wanted to see what else was out there. Mm -hmm. And um, I always would love traveling with my family. So I always like had in the back of my mind, like I really want to travel mm -hmm. um, after this whole college thing. So, um, you know, my first love was basketball and uh, I grew up playing basketball and school was very challenging for me. And, you know, at a very young age, I was diagnosed with learning disability and ADD mm -hmm. and ADHD and labeled at a very young age and put on medication. So I, I really started my struggles then. And sports was always, again, my outlet. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I went to Ohio State for a quick minute and I was modeling at the time and they offered me an opportunity to go to Miami. And I took that opportunity. And that's when I started my modeling career mm -hmm. um, back in 1996. But that really gave me the escape. And it was really um, interesting for me because, one, I, I liked fashion and mm -hmm. I really loved the travel. So this was kind of like my escape and my job was now going to be able to lead me around the world. And what was that? What were you escaping from? I mean, what was that freedom offering you? That being labeled. Mm -hmm. Everybody knew me in my town. And um, I think, you know, it's this is something I'm writing in my book. Like, <laughs> you know, I think all my traveling, I was always running from something. Mm. And, you know, being labeled and having adults tell you at such a young age that you have these issues 
multiple issues and you're put on medication, you're just always feeling different. Mm -hmm. So I felt if I moved to different towns or I moved to different places that people wouldn't really know that I had something wrong with me. You'd be able to escape yeah. the, the ADD, the yeah. dyslexia and all those pieces. Right. And did it, it put you in a category of other and, and expectations were different of you then with, with those diagnoses. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. All right. So, so the modeling became your first escape, and, and what happened from there? Yeah. So modeling was great. I, <laughs> I got to um, work with the top designers in the world. I got mm -hmm. to actually uh, the privilege of living over in Italy, doing all the runway shows there, and um, came back to the United States. And uh, actually, that's where I discovered running was in Italy, and that's a big part of my journey. <laughs> yeah. I, I hated running before uh, <laughs> I moved to Italy, but I was just getting lost all the time and traveling and and really not understanding the language. So then I just started running everywhere instead of taking a subway and buses. So oh, that's yeah. really how I started running. When I came back to the United States, I ran my first 5K and mm -hmm. that's the competitive edge that, that jumped in. And I uh, was like, hmm, I might like this running thing. So you can use it not just to get around Italy without having the language, but can compete with it as well. Right. Oh, I didn't know that about you. That's funny. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, high school, I, it was always a punishment to go run. Mm -hmm. So it was like, the speed, the fast forward now where I am is like running is my passion. But yeah, um, yeah, I came back after that and uh, I moved to New York City. I lived in New York City and modeled there. And that was quite, that was like one of my dream places to live mm -hmm. coming from a small town in Ohio. So that was really exciting and challenging at the same time. And then I came back to South Beach. South Beach now became my, my home for the next 20 some years. Oh, wow. And I um, got into the nightlife business and um, restaurant business, hotel business. And then that led me down a very um, challenging path, so to say. Mm -hmm. I started making really bad decisions. And then later on, I got addicted to drugs and alcohol. Mm -hmm. So it kind of started with a little bit of a slope, a little bit of, of small choices at a time. Is that is that in some ways still that feeling of escape with within that addiction? Or how did you find yourself in it? Yeah, I was I was... To that point there, I was <laughs> trying to find myself. Mm -hmm. And I thought through exploring different cultures, different languages, different countries, mm -hmm. different drugs, different nightclubs, um, different sceneries, I thought it was all going to change here yeah. and change my perspective on life and change people's perspective above me. And that just wasn't the case. No, no. never, never arrived there. No. And then, yeah, so... So following all of that and ending up in, in kind of an addiction crisis, what what was that turning point for you? Because I know that you know, you have many years under your belt now. How did you find a place to turn that around? Oh, I, I was thinking about this the other day, how many times I've hit rock bottom, how <laughs> many times I've been woken up in hospitals and mm -hmm. in alleys and not knowing who I was and what I was doing. Mm -hmm. And in rock bottom, I mean, you know, my rock bottom was like rock bottom. Like I was, 2009 is when I got into my um, tragic car accident and almost died. And I was wow. drinking and doing drugs. Mm -hmm. And then prior to that, you know, I've tried to commit suicide several times. So that was always like my escape. But this led me into literally a 50 foot brick wall on um, March 13th, 2009. And um, that's what it took for me. That's yeah. what it took for me. And I, I tried, I struggled with it. I, I tried to get sober by myself before. I'd last like 11 months and, you know, I never liked it, to mm -hmm. be honest with the you. The sobriety? No, I oh, never liked drugs. the drugs. Yeah. I never liked feeling different. I never mm -hmm. liked the party scene. Don't get me wrong. I had fun. I was hanging out <laughs> with a lot of celebrities and 
models and around the world, but it was it was never like I was still missing something inside. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that there is that search to find yourself and and ways to escape and ways to try things, but if it's not you inside. Well, what do you think the difference was, I mean, to say that you attempted to commit suicide a a handful of times and had many different rock bottoms, what was that final culmination of that car accident and, and what was the impact of that? I was just, I was just tired. Yeah. I was done. I was, I was facing some serious consequences with hitting that wall. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't, I was cut out of the car. Um, I had surgeries, um, mm-hmm. you know, the car was destroyed. I could have killed somebody. There's all kinds of things mm-hmm. that came out of that, that really woke me up. Um, I was unconscious for 10 minutes and that was the pivotal point of my life. Cause I simply, I gave myself, I had a, like this, this talk with myself like the next day, I remember mm-hmm. sitting in on my porch and saying like, you have a choice. What are you going to do? Are you going to choose to keep, you know, making these terrible decisions, are you going to take the other path and try to better your life? I chose the better one. Yeah. Yeah. And that's just been my journey for the last 10 and a half years of really discovering who I am. And what did that path start to look like for you? I mean, did you have much physical recovery? I mean, having been cut out of a car, what did what did you have to do to start working down that road? Yeah, it took me over a year and a half to recover. I mm-hmm. had surgery on my arm, um, broke it in several places, broke, I think, six or seven ribs, mm-hmm. uh, my face. So there's a lot of things that came out of that that was um, very, very <laughs> challenging to recover. It was physically and mentally. Mm-hmm. Um, prior to that same week, uh, I was just broke up with a, a girlfriend just broke up with me, mm-hmm. ran into a 50 foot brick wall. Two days later, I lost my job. Oh, wow. So my life had changed just so dramatically and so mm-hmm. instantly. And I think that's, that's why, you know, like <laughs> that was my rock bottom of raw rock bottoms. Yeah. And there was no other choice. Yeah, that all, all of the structures that had been, in a sense, good enough in supporting you and all of these decisions were really just ripped away in a moment. Yeah. And and you have to take a look at yourself and your own choices in that, I suppose. Yeah, mm-hmm. the, the, uh, the, <laughs> the, the life evaluation at that point was very, um, <laughs> was, there's only one direction to go. <laughs> and, and I simply just was just focusing on the process and, mm-hmm. and I got help. I went to AA and, um, you know, I had an incredible support team. I actually moved mm-hmm. back to Miami beach and, and got sober there. And I was actually bartending for three years in mm-hmm. sobriety, my first three years, which is, I still don't, can't believe how I did that. I was As, in nightclubs. It was like, <laughs> did that produce, um, did that offer some unique challenges? I mean, I, I can hardly imagine. <laughs> it was, they put me in some different predicaments, but after I got to see mm-hmm. from the other side of what people look like, cause I was always, I was both either bartending, working in nightclubs, managing nightclubs, VIP host, always drinking. So I never mm-hmm. got to experience and see what people really acted like. Yeah. So when you're sober behind the bar and you're working all night long in these crazy clubs, you really get to see a different <laughs> perspective, that's for sure. They helped me stay sober. And plus I was going to meetings and uh-huh. my sponsor was in the same business. So um, yeah, it was, and I started to learn meditation and, mm-hmm. and I started to just really slowly dive into my inner self. That's wonderful. And did you find that piece that you've been seeking through all of your travel and exploration? Up to that point? Yeah. As you started diving in and doing that meditation and that sitting still, were you finally starting to fill that inner peace? 
Yeah, I'm still working towards it, to be honest <laughs> with you. Yeah, yeah, but I definitely have a, a sense of direction. I have mm -hmm. a passion. I have a purpose now. I have a much more meaningful life. Mm -hmm. um, in 2010, I discovered ultra marathon running. Mm -hmm. And that was that journey for me had been the the pivotal point in my life where mm -hmm. I actually got to learn to get to know myself and love myself. And that took me on some crazy journeys running, you know, distances 100 miles. Wow. Um, and that gave me another opportunity to travel and, and speak to kids and do some charity work. And, and really, I, I turned um, professional at the age of 34. And being a little kid, I always wanted to be a professional athlete. So when I had that opportunity come, um, that was really, uh, it was really challenging because you're running, I was running between, you know, 35 to 45 hours a week. Wow. Just training and just started my own coaching business. Mm -hmm. And um, it was a lot of running, yeah, <laughs> but yeah. it gave me a lot of time to think and really time, a lot of time to go in and, and find myself. And like, why was I out there running? That was always a big question. Like, why are you, why are you running so much? What are you running from? And I was mm -hmm. thinking to myself, like, what am I running from? But that's what I was doing for mm -hmm. so many years. I was yeah. running from my little childhood when I had all these adults telling me like, you have this wrong with you, you have this mm -hmm. wrong with you take medication and go to my doctors. They would say, something's wrong with you. You have to take this medication. Mm -hmm. I remember at one point in my life, I was taking 2,400 milligrams of medication. Wow. A day. Wow. And, and there was like serious meds that mm -hmm. doctors were prescribing me. Plus I was drinking, plus I was doing drugs. Mm -hmm. It was just a um, terrible combination. <laughs> <laughs> your system was so far from neutral. <laughs> right. But, but to have been told your whole life from so many different professionals that there's something wrong with you, there's something wrong with you. And to be looking for that fix, I think you know, it, it's only natural that we're all looking to find that normalcy and that ability to just be one within where we belong and be good enough. Right. And no wonder the search was going on and going on so strong. Yeah. But I think it's so fascinating to fascinating to juxtapose your original journey in traveling of going to different countries to try on different cultures, to try on different things. And then when you became a professional runner, to go to different countries and to have different opportunities. And you're doing so in philanthropy and giving back. And that's something I've always known about you as, as long as um, you know you came into our life here in Colorado, that you are constantly giving back and championing the experiences of others. And that's a very different way to show up in the world. And how does, how does that now feed your mission? Yeah, that's, that's a... Um... That was a pivotal point of my journey. I've known I've, everything I've gone through, I've, mm -hmm. I've known that I've always wanted to help others. Mm -hmm. I just didn't really know how. Yeah. And as I was doing all this running, I wasn't, I figured out I wasn't running from something. <laughs> I was running towards something. And that toward, that's something I was running towards was myself mm. and my mission. Oh, what a beautiful way to put it. And as I keep crossing these finish lines, and I believe I ran 38 ultra marathons um, in seven years. And that's a lot. Of, I didn't do the mileage, but that's a lot of mileage. That's that's a, that's a calculation worth doing. That's a <laughs> yeah. lot. How long how long is an average ultra marathon? By the uh, way, it starts at fifty k, so that's uh -huh. thirty one miles, and then mm -hmm. you go to fifty miles, hundred k, and then hundred miles. Wow. Okay. So and then up from there. So. And then so thirty eight of those in seven years. Yeah. Okay. So go on. Sorry. Yeah. So <laughs> once I spoke in front of my first um, group of kids, and I got to see their smiles, their laughs, uh -huh. their questions, I was like, "This is it. Like, I'm, I've arrived." Like. Uh -huh. All these kids are so different. All these kids have problems. I would go speak at um, 
um, orphanages. Mm-hmm. And then I really got to see like, wow, I was really lucky what I had. None of these kids even have parents. Mm-hmm. And then we started like collecting suitcases for fam- like these kids instead of carrying trash bags from home to home, foster homes, we would do donate suitcases. So we started doing all these different projects to help these these kids. And that's where I really stepped outside of my own problems and my own issues and really started focusing on how can I help empower uh, a young kid or somebody's in high school or, you know, through mm-hmm. speaking and different things that I would had the, the stage to do now or the stage to work on. And it was, that was really pivotal for me in my mm-hmm. life because now I started to see little by little that it wasn't about me. Mm-hmm. You know, it was about how I could give back. That's wonderful. And in what way, it, it seems almost counterintuitive, I imagine, to say, I'm going to find myself by looking outside of myself, by giving outside of myself. How how does that feel within the story of your journey there to know that it is that giving back that let you finally be comfortable in a way? That's a great question. I, I, I think it's really of that feeling of fulfillment mm-hmm. and stepping outside of yourself of of not being selfish. It's about mm-hmm. being selfless, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that's a really pivotal part of my journey of being able to say, hey, I'm still working on myself. I still work on myself every single yeah. day and I still am going in deeper and I'm still learning every single day through mm-hmm. meditation and other things. But I think... Uh, being able to see, like I'm getting ready to go to Miami and do some work there with some nonprofits. It's just such a powerful thing for us to do mm-hmm. in society as humans to help out other humans. And uh, I always had my like handful of people that I looked up to. I remember when I was little. And if I could do that for one minute or mm-hmm. for one kid, or it, it's just, it's life-changing. It really puts things in perspective when we carry around these burdens and and we all have the stories of growing up and being not good enough in one way or another, a label, a diagnosis, an injury, that when we can look at a global scale, in a lot of ways it makes it smaller and that smaller is somehow more manageable Mm -hmm. and we can heal ourselves in, in giving to others and helping take care of others. They, we, we teach as much as we give, I think, in those senses. Mm-hmm. It sounds like a little bit of, of that experience. Yeah, 100%. Well, and so then you, you came to Colorado, and that's when I had the fortune of meeting you when I first opened my practice. And the thing that always struck me about you was the mindfulness and movement that you brought. Um, I referred you to a couple of really, um, really key patients of mine that were struggling with um, motivation in their body and awareness in their own body. And, you know, to say that you changed their life would be, saved their life would be an understatement. Um, can you talk a little bit about, about that mindfulness and movement and grounding and body and how you know, how you use that in your own work and with others. Yeah. I started studying when Mm -hmm. I started running ultras, I fell in love with it. I said, how can I get better at this? Mm -hmm. So that's when I truly started focusing on movement, the mind, the mindfulness, Mm -hmm. understanding form, technique, the different variables. I started studying the body. And then that's when I started really developing that that passion for movement Mm -hmm. and really connecting. So as the mind, how can I connect the mind, body and spirit? Because when you're in ultra running, it's a very spiritual for me. It's a very spiritual experience because you're you could be running for seven hours straight or you could be running for 30 hours straight. 
and climbing 30,000 feet through rain, snow, sleet. So there's all kinds of spirituality that comes in because you, you need a little help along the way. <laughs> yeah. But if you don't have the form and if you don't have the technique mm -hmm. and you're not running properly or moving properly, there's no way you're going to get to your destination mm -hmm. or the, get the results that you're looking for. So I started studying that. And that was a, a crucial point of my life because I started feeling better and better, stronger and stronger. And that helped me with my confidence. It helped me with my mindfulness. And then I started diving into the mindfulness piece. It mm -hmm. took me a little longer to get into the mindfulness piece because a lot of running before that was ego. I was always running marathons and you know smaller races, half marathons. And it was always connected to my ego or my watch. How much, <laughs> what is my time? You can do better, you can do better. And that, was, that wasn't very serving for me because I've always battled with my ego. And I think mm -hmm. all of us as humans, we... Definitely have our ego come Human in and, condition. <laughs> and direct us into a yeah. into a different direction. But once I was able to let go of my ego, that's mm -hmm. where the mindfulness came in. And I was able to really develop that movement piece and really stay connected and grounded. Was there a moment that woke you up to that mindfulness, a, a race or an experience? Yeah, that... I was um, I was in uh, uh, Bangkok. We were I was racing 100K out in the jungles. Um, in Thailand and I had fell several times and very different terrain, mm -hmm. wild animals everywhere. It was just, <laughs> it was an, it was a crazy experience. One of my most insane races. It's like 30 hours to get there. And I remember like, I was like trying to be in a hurry all the time. Mm -hmm. And I read all these books and I watched all these things. Like you can't be in a hurry in an ultra marathon. Like, but that's why I was falling. So mm -hmm. it was my ego that was really taking me and falling me down. So once I started realizing if you just learn to slow down and focus on your form, you just focus on each step. And as soon as I started doing that, I mean, this race, I broke my ribs oh, wow. at mile, like I think it was 32. And this race was a 69 mile race. And I still had to go pretty long way. So and you completed the, the race with the broken ribs. Yeah, a couple wow. of broken ribs. Wow. And I, and I had to listen to myself. I had to listen mm -hmm. to my body because mm -hmm. for me, I don't, I don't want to give up. And I didn't, you know, my, that's where I kind of put my ego away and just start focusing my form mm -hmm. because each step was the most painful step ever. And I think that race I took 165,000 steps. So that was a lot yeah. more steps I had to take. And that was pain every single time you mm -hmm. step. So that, that mindfulness and that's where the spirituality came in and um, perseverance. And there mm -hmm. was just like, there's a lot of things that came up for me that race. Well, and it's interesting that when you start talking about the number of steps and a lot more steps you had to take is that when you do things in a rush and you do things in the service of your ego and without that integrity of movement, it becomes so much harder. And you had such a physical, constant pounding reminder for the rest of those miles <laughs> yeah. that you can fight upstream and you're just making your life harder. And, and how many of us are doing that in little ways throughout our life and not slowing down to realize that we could do things without broken ribs. <laughs> I love that because that's, if I look back when I'm, mm -hmm. I'm writing my book now and I'm, I'm writing all these different stories, all those chapters I'm writing mm -hmm. about, I was making things so much more difficult with the mm -hmm. drugs, the alcohol, the choices, the limiting beliefs. Um, all these things were just piling up against mm -hmm. me. And, and they... You think that it's this simple, quick thing that if I can, you know, have this drink or, or, or take this substance and get that burst and get that turn of attention through this external impulse, it's going to be easier because I won't be sitting in this moment. Yep. 
percent. Not typically how it turns out. <laughs> no, because <laughs> you have to go through those moments over moments and yeah. moments and moments of that constant struggle. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I got out of the dark and started looking for the light, mm-hmm. and the light as the light shines on me now here as we're sitting here, it's a really powerful thing. Mm-hmm. And it's a really powerful when you can and anything that happens to me now is now I know my first instinct is I don't I'm not on any medications now for the last five years which is amazing, but I still have to learn different tools of how to handle different situations. Absolutely. And I call it the power of choice. So I simply just choose to focus on my breath and mm-hmm. reset and, re- and reevaluate. And it could be through movements, right? It could be, I was running this morning and it, it was freezing. Um, those of you who don't know, I only moved here three years ago and it's still cold. <laughs> <laughs> Chad's not in love with our winters that last till May. <laughs> But it was focusing on movement this morning yeah. and my breath and just really that moving meditation for me this morning was just really powerful. And that's what I, I, I that's my go-to now. That's wonderful. Just breath. Well, and I feel like there's an interesting juxtaposition to be made um, between this Bangkok run and the broken ribs and needing to complete it. And of course, I don't know if there was no other way out but through. But I know that um, you did the Leadville race, was it last year or the year before? And again, ran into um, some health limitations, but made a different choice this time. Yeah. And talk, talk to us about that a little bit. Yeah. So I, my first Leadville attempt, 100-mile race, that's actually why I moved out here. My agent thought it would be a good idea back in 2016 to come, actually 15, and camp for a month uh, mm-hmm. up in Leadville. I was training for a race in Argentina. Uh, it was another 100K through the Patagonia Mountains. And then I fell in love with Colorado. Mm-hmm. And... Um, that next year I was training for Leadville 100 and uh, I just come from sea level and altitude up there, you're running at 10,200 feet and you're peaking at 2,500 feet. So I did run into um, a lot of different uh, medical problems. It was, mm-hmm. um, what was it? When um, when you're super cold, mm-hmm. what's it? Hypothermia. Hypothermia is hypothermia. Yeah. And um, kidney failure. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that yeah. was my first. I made it to mile 69. Uh, ran for 19 hours. And I did. there's a cutoff time. There's really strict cutoff times in Leadville. And mm-hmm. then I went to attempt the next year. And again, uh, I got to mile 72 and uh, hypothermia again and kidney mm-hmm. failure. So mm-hmm. it was this adapting piece to uh, those runs are a lot more... Um, hard to figure out for yeah. me and altitudes are aggressive yeah and because we would a mile 42 you start climbing up to 2500 feet mm-hmm. and that climb it takes it took me like two hours but i went through rain snow sleet and hail and then you have to go over this huge mountain and turn around and come back over mm-hmm. so it's an out and back leadville is a i have so much respect for all those runners out there that, that mm-hmm. did finish that do attempt to do it i will be back to attempt it and do it again wonderful um but the 100 mile of distances i remember my first one was in from key largo to key west and that was 92 degrees and 92 percent humidity so i had kidney mm-hmm. failure my first two kidney failures there and um, i lost a ton of weight and i don't know how i powered through that but it, we were running next to cars and mm-hmm. it was just that was my first hundred and that was um, that was a very I had 15 blisters on each foot that we were trying to bandage up every every inch. That <laughs> was just it was a lot of pain. Yeah. Well, and that's the having these long distance endurance runs. I mean, the conversation that you have to have with your ego, especially when it comes to needing to turn back instead of push forward through kidney failure and hypothermia, that has to be a, a very different reckoning 
than where you were 10 years ago. Yeah. And and what does that sound like to you in, in the mindfulness and awareness of your body these days? Yeah. So like that first instance, that, that first 100-mile race, I mm-hmm. chose not to quit. The, the last two up in Leadville, the medical team mm-hmm. suggested that it would be a good idea. <laughs> and my team suggested, <laughs> suggested. yeah, yeah. that it, I, I wasn't going to be able to go on. Mm-hmm. And for me to listen to that, I had to be okay with that. And I was okay with that mm-hmm. because there are serious consequences when you get into – stu- I mean, I, I study these races and there's a really – bad things that can happen. Mm-hmm. And if I would have continued, I could have, you know, opened that door. So I had to put my my ego of that race, both those races were pretty mm-hmm. much gone in the beginning because it's just such a uh, a tiring race. Yeah. So it's just well, like you, miles in that all I have to work on is quieting my my brain. Like cuz mm-hmm. your body's telling you just stop, just stop. Like why are you doing this? Mm-hmm. So then I have to tell my body why am I doing this because I want to finish. And <laughs> yeah. like, so it's really quieting the minds, and mm-hmm. you know my ego really wasn't um, relevant there. But I think the turning point there for me was just I was proud of myself actually that last hundred, and mm-hmm. um, my team was phenomenal. I was disappointed for sure, but I was proud of myself because I listened to my body, and I think that's that's. I, where I started really growing as an athlete and as a person, where I started listening to my body mm. and not my ego. Yeah. Well, that's a huge turning point, too. And when you have the legacy that you do and the experience that you have, I think anyone who does ultra anything, you know, there there is a certain level of you have to have mind over body. And that gets you to a lot of really big accomplishments and and for a competitive individual or for someone that, that there's just hopes and dreams that land on that and that shouldn't be negated. But also at a certain point, we have to level the playing field for the mind to take care of the body as mm-hmm. well. And I know, um, you know my whole family was rooting for you on Leadville, but was so overwhelmingly proud of you for taking care of yourself and making sure that you had many more runs in you after yeah. it. You know, the yeah. long-term gains for the the short-term sacrifice. Yeah. So with all of that under your belt and all of these tools and experiences, you um, you know, you've been a coach and you've you have your own um uh, uh running routine um system for assessing running to run without pain and injury to be able to do these ultra marathon runners. Now you've shifted a four-way into um uh I want to say high endurance life coaching, but that's not <laughs> Into life coaching and mm-hmm. into this kind of executive function. Tell us a little bit about that change. Yeah, that was um, <laughs> high performance. There's the word I couldn't there you find. Go. High performance <laughs> life coach. Uh, that was something I've been working towards probably since 2012, mm-hmm. and I started listening to a lot of um, personal development, self help. Mm-hmm. Started reading books. Started getting educated. I actually hired my coach several years ago, and I when my experience with my coach started changing my life so dramatically, so mm-hmm. instantly, I said, this is exactly what I want to do. And I had already been coaching for, for at that time, uh, 14 years. Mm-hmm. And I knew that I wanted to help people and this was going to be my path. So I uh, got certified and started building out my, my practice. And mm-hmm. that's what I'm doing full time now and speaking full time. But for me, that, that journey, my personal journey with my coach, and I still meet with her every week, has been such a transformational pivoting point in my life for growth Mm -hmm. and um, acceptance. And to be able to share that with with my clients and um, 
to audiences when I speak and to share my story. I remember just three years ago, I was I was ashamed of my story mm. and I was disappointed in myself still. And now she's got me to a point and she's guided me to the acceptance piece where when I wasn't accepting myself, I was holding myself back from everything. Mm -hmm. So now with my self-acceptance piece, my self-worth and, and my gratitude, I'm thankful for my journey. Now I can share it with everyone simply just to, to help them. Yeah. Well, thank, yeah, thank you for sharing it with us here yeah, today. I really appreciate you opening up about all these, thank you. these pieces. And, and I think you, you bring up a really good point about when you limit the acceptance of a piece of your life, you're also limiting your ability to go forward because it is all of these pieces that really, really drive us mm -hmm. that have informed you, you know, from the beginning of getting these limiting diagnosis and these forays into um, destructive ways to find yourself, that's, that brought you to where you are and you have so much to offer and so much to give to people now and what a wonderful gift it is. Yeah. So what do you see when you're working with your clients and it comes to accepting their stories? Is that something that you also help them work with or, or how do you apply this whole history to your, to your work? Yeah. What the, the number one thing I love about my job is simply hearing mm -hmm. my clients' stories mm -hmm. and meeting them where they are and sharing you know, an experience that's maybe relatable, mm -hmm. but also to share with them some of the, the really powerful tools that I have that have got me to where I am now. And simply it's around habits. It's around creating or limiting uh, the limiting beliefs mm -hmm. and, and really working on the mindset. Um, movement is, is huge. You know, if you, I be truly believe if you're not moving and exercising, going back to your habits, you really are going to limit yourself to where you're going. So mm -hmm. it's a combination of meeting my client where they are or speaking to an audience and sharing the story. I think the number one thing that oh, everybody always comes back to me is like, I just feel stuck mm. and I just feel like there's so much in the way. And when I hear that, that just there's a light bulb just flashes because that was me. I was in I was in my own way and I had all these limiting beliefs. So it's just simply how to guide them and, and support them along the way and, and give them empower them and give them tools that they can see and they can make those adjustments and understand patience and understand that there's a whole world out in front of them. And you can honestly, if I can do this, anybody can go out and do anything, right? It yeah. all just has to. That's why I talk a lot about the power of choice. You simply just have to choose to. Mm -hmm. So what does success look like then in those interactions when people come in feeling stuck and, and needing to find that choice oh, for themselves? There's so much. Uh, I have so many <laughs> wonderful, amazing, inspiring people. I th I mean, I wouldn't even know where to start. I think... <laughs> You know, it's for me, it's the little thing. It's and we focus a lot on the little wins. Mm -hmm. And when I have that individual or a group focusing on those little wins, and they're coming back and saying, "This is working. This is working. This is working." That's where it's it's truly um, that fulfillment comes in. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm seeing there's success. Maybe not like out in like. Uh, the success they're working towards or the mm -hmm. destination they haven't arrived there because the, the results we talk a lot about the results piece because and i was like that too is just focusing completely on the result but it's also falling in love with the process mm. and that's what i really took away from ultras because if you're focusing on the results of an ultra of a 100 mile race and you're not loving the process you're in some serious trouble so we talk <laughs> a lot about those guidelines along the way of their journeys mm -hmm. and you know i work with people for a pretty long time and to see some of the things that they've done 
um, yeah, it's, I can get emotional. It's, <laughs> it's, it's truly, it's amazing what somebody can mm-hmm. do as simply as, as if they choose and they, they really want to do it. I think that's a really fantastic lesson to take away is that that falling in love with the process and using the metaphor of the ultra marathon. You know, when you're how many of us in our day to day lives are doing some equivalent of pushing ourselves running for 30 hours straight with all of the blisters and hail and sleet and and body shut down in fatigue and hating every minute of it, thinking that that you know, how long, how long is that moment crossing the finish line? Less than a second, (laughs) you know, the tape breaks and that's it. And where have you spent all of your time and where have you spent all of your energy and you have spent 30 hours or years in some cases being miserable to hope that that less than a second ticker tape breaking is going to make up for all of it. And, you know, the, the struggle that that brings home is, it almost starts to feel like insanity when you start to value your life that way. Yeah, well said. Thank you. <laughs> so, so changing that that moment to then look back on the process and the progress, then I, I, I'm assuming that we're talking about that mindfulness and that being in touch with the body that you've taken into your own experience as well. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's something I do every day. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I look at each day now as, as a gift mm-hmm. instead of like torture. Um, <laughs> there's been a whole mind switch. And I talk a lot about, you know, I'm with, with my clients and in, in groups, I talk about like, you know, like the career, um, the finances, the personal growth relationship mm-hmm. and um, self-worth. And there, it all comes back to my program and mm-hmm. how I can be my best today. And again, it goes back to that. What is my, what is my process? So each time, and my coach is working on it with me, is my process of understanding how can I optimize today? Mm-hmm. And then how can I perform as a high performer? And it's really just taking a step back and being in that process, just like going back to starting at that race, knowing that I'm going to be out there for you know, anywhere from eight hours to 30 hours, but just focusing on each step, mm-hmm. each step of the way. And when I do that, everything shifts, everything changes. There's less yeah. noise. And I talk about like changing the frequency. So I'm in control of my frequency. This gives me the ability to understand that I'm in a higher vibration, mm-hmm. that I'm more energetic because I'm in that process because I'm working towards something. Yeah, and you're not changing anything in the environment. The the weather, the the wild jungle animals, <laughs> everything are still there, you know, and and unfortunately some of us do carry those broken ribs with us. We have we have that heaviness around us. We don't change any of those things, but that moment to moment makes each moment more pleasant than a a pile of of hell that we're slogging through. Mm-hmm. Oh, what a great frame shift and 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 gift to offer all of your clients as they work on their own. And I know I know many people that are working with Chad and just absolutely singing his praises and and seeing these big changes coming about in their life and not because they took some risk and you know jumped off a cliff to try and get it, but changed the way they thought about what they were doing in their day and the way they valued themselves and valued their own story. There's suddenly a different discussion of of worth and and what they want to do. 
And that's that's an amazing change. And that's why I do what I do. You yeah. just said it right there. <laughs> so, um, so what would you like to see change if you had kind of a magic wand to to hand to all of your clients? What would you hope to see change in in how they get through their day to day? What's the big takeaway for you? I think just creating simplicity. Mm-hmm. If I could offer that and and see more i think society in general too is mm-hmm. there's so many things out there that affect us from the the environment to food to drugs and alcohol to politics there's all kinds of different mm-hmm. things that are out there and it seems like it's really heavy yeah and we take a lot of that you turn on the tv you turn on the news there's all this it's just this energy so mm-hmm. what i would really love to see is for people to understand about their own energy, to learn more mm-hmm. about their own energy and when things shift and then how you can take control of that, owning your power and just understanding your frequency and your vibration. And so if, if I know if I turn on CNN or whatever, I'm going to be in this like fight or flight mode because there's just so much energy is just like, ah, people are yelling at each other. And it's just like, ah, I got turned off. <laughs> yeah, right? it's not it's not a subtle environment anymore. So just <laughs> making that choice of turning that off and just like, whoa, that was and so just clearing mm-hmm. and really just adapting to different situations, but simply understanding mm-hmm. what your alignment is and with your energy. It, I think it changes people's perspective or changed my perspective uh, on my daily my daily routine and, mm-hmm. and and what I want to listen to and what I want to do and where I want to go. And once I started learning, I'm still learning a lot about my energy, but um, if people could just uh, really get up, everybody's energy is different, right? Yeah. So if everybody could just understand their own energy and just learn through mm-hmm. different vibrations and through breath, and um, I think that would be really neat to see because I think, so. think there'd be a lot less negative Mm-hmm. and much more positive energy going around. Yeah, be more ownership of it. Yeah. I feel like there's a universal truth that is the most complicated questions have the simplest answers. Not the easiest. Right. Never the easiest. Never the easiest. But this oh, we're easy. But always the simplest. Mm-hmm. And when we look at these big hairy problems of feeling distracted and overwhelmed and I don't know what to do with my life and my body hurts and I can't I can't I can't And we try and complicate it. We add more chaos. We add the running away from and the drugs and the alcohol and the escapism instead of the simplicity of self. And self is enough. And that's hard and worth it. Yeah. Yeah. I love that it's hard and it's worth it 100%. (laughs) Yeah. As soon as you get more connected, I'll speak for myself. So more I get connected to that journey, Mm -hmm. more I get connected to myself, I have more positive beliefs. I have, I don't have any like, I, I know if I go into a negative situation, how I can get myself out of it immediately, mm-hmm. right? And it, and it's just, it's fascinating how the mind works. Yeah. And I, I talk a lot about this with my clients. There's 60,000 thoughts that go through our head a day. Now, 83% of them are negative and 90% of them are repetitive. That's <laughs> that's the what we get to, that's what we're dealt with every single day because yeah. that's how our mind develops. Mm-hmm. Our mind works like that. So and it's all an idea to be um, self-preservation that we make that 90% autopilot so we don't have to spend energy thinking. And then that 83% is meant to keep us safe, but does it really? Right. Mm-hmm. Is it? Is, can you justify what it actually is? It bringing simplicity, mm-hmm. or are you making choices of going to McDonald's? Are you making choices to go to the bar, mm-hmm. or are you going to go to the library, or are you going to sit in a quiet point in the, in the mountains and, and meditate and <laughs> yeah. learn about yourself, or just be in nature? 
Mm -hmm. So it all comes down to choice. Yeah, it really does. And I think that is a really beautifully empowering note to kind of land on is that it's, it is our own, it is our choice. And we, we create our own heaven or hell in front of us. <laughs> well said. <laughs> yes. Well, thank you so much for joining us here today, Chad, and, and having uh, the, the courage and the vul vulnerability to share such a history and such a journey. I think that there is so much that people can benefit from it. And I'm, I'm just so pleased that, that you've come from where you were three years ago, where you're ashamed, because it's, it's a powerful story. Thank you very much. It's an honor to be here. Thank Appreciate you. it. And where can people find you? Where can people find your life coaching? Yeah, I think mm -hmm. the easiest way is just go to my website, mm -hmm. chadweller.com. has mm -hmm. everything there, all my social media and um, yeah, pretty yeah. easy. Wonderful. And yeah, and Chad does do um, most of his life coaching um, virtual. So no matter where you are, you don't have to be here in the, the cold Colorado winter <laughs> to in, enjoy his wisdom and, and his direction. So um, take a look at that. Thank you again for being here with My us. My pleasure. Thank you. All right. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Healing Ground Movement podcast. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed what you heard and got a little something out of it. Now remember, the information expressed in these interviews is for informational and not diagnostic or treatment purposes. However, I hope you find that having the right information and resources can go a long way to helping you on your healthcare journey. Ask the right questions and seek out professional help.